Jennifer Abe, and this is The Intersection at the Corner of Intellect and Affect, a podcast series sponsored by Conversations on Jesuit Higher Education on being a whole person in higher education today. As a faculty member at Loyola Marymount University, who has become deeply engaged with the Jesuit tradition in my scholarship, teaching, and service, I'm collaborating with Jim McCartan at Fordham University to explore how these Ignatian ideals might help us rediscover what makes it possible for people to flourish in their work in higher education. At Jesuit colleges and universities today, we aim to help our students to become whole persons. But what would it look like if we aspired to help everyone on campus to be whole? That's the question at the heart of the intersection. In this second episode of The Intersection, we're joined by Phil Metris, an English professor at John Carroll University, and Nicole Bouvier-Brown, a professor in the chemistry and biochemistry department at Loyola Marymount University, to explore questions about the work of wondering. What can wonder do if we place it at the center of our work? How might we make wonder a shared good that can help animate all of us, staff and administrators, as well as students and faculty? And how can wonder help to make us more whole, both as individuals and communities in higher education? Phil Metris has been celebrated for his poetry, his essays, fiction, translation, criticism, and scholarship. He began his relationship with Jesuit higher education all the way back in the late 1980s as an undergraduate at the College of the Holy Cross. Since Nicole Bouvier-Brown came to Loyola Marymount in 2009, her research and teaching have focused on the chemistry of air pollution and environmental justice, and on how these things fit together under the framework of Jesuit mission. This is our conversation. So warming your mind to this idea of wonder that brings us together in this space, from your own experience, how would you describe the distinction between wondering as a sense of being intellectually curious and wondering in the sense of being spiritually odd? How would you say has wondering in each of these senses been present in your work as a poet, a scientist, a teacher, a colleague, a human? And why might wonder in the second sense of being odd be an important element in your ability to bring your whole person in the context of your own career at your universities. It's a big area. You can dive in however you want, and we invite you, I invite you to um, think with each other. Phil? I remember when I was in college, my professor, Bob Cording, who's a poet as well, said that he was really interested ultimately in this question of ontology, which is like, why is there something instead of nothing? And I remember feeling that that wasn't the most interesting or important question for me at the time. The most interesting, important question for me at the time was, how do we know what we know? The epistemological question. And yet, the older I've gotten, 
the more I start to <laughs> uh, find myself um, being in awe of this question that, that he asked, which is, you know, why do, why do we exist at all? And how is it that we exist at all? That, that sort of miracle of creation. His question is the question of wonder. Mine was the question of intellectual curiosity, you know, like how do we know what we know? You know, what, you know, what happened during the Gulf War and why, why was it kept from us? And those, those sorts of um, questions, you know, um, I just, I want to just say one more thing and then, you know, offer of the space up, but um, to be a writer, I'm constantly trying to teach my students how to pay attention. Henry James once said that a writer is one upon whom nothing is lost. And this idea of attentiveness to me is, is deeply encoded into the artistic practice. And attentiveness is kind of the discipline of being open to, to wonder. Um, you know, part of it is like, you know, I, I ask them something like, okay, give me an image or tell me something that you saw or that you heard this weekend. They'll say, well, I saw my parents, you know, or my, my relatives. And, and I, I tell them that that's not what I mean by seeing. <laughs> uh, you're using it as a metaphor. I mean, like, what did you actually look at over the last 24 hours? It's very hard because we're so dissociated from our sensory experiences because of, you know, the digital world, because of, you know, habit, because of, um, our busyness. And so one of the things I'm trying to do, do for them to create a space for them um, is to slow down and to see and to feel uh, as, as if for the first time. And that that's to me, the beginning of wonder. I can completely relate to this. So as a scientist, understanding the natural world starts with attentiveness. It starts with recognizing something and saying, wow, that's really cool. And so that's sort of the, the spiritual awe. And that drives then the intellectual practice of how does it work, right? Let's figure out the mechanism by which this is what it is. But it's in those details where you first get caught up. And then as you go through the process, I feel like wonder drives every step of that process of not only recognizing what the question is gonna be, but all the questions in between right? And then if you do get to some resolution or something, then you kind of circle back to that spiritual awe, that, wow, why is it, you know, this is so cool. Um, and, and so I, I feel like both in a research perspective of choosing questions, of, of helping students with their questions, that definitely comes up. But I completely agree with in terms of um, classroom relationships, right? Finding all those details and recognizing what it is that kind of sparks the, the joy, right? It's about finding those things that you go, whoa, right? That's really neat. Why is it that way? Where did it come from? And, it, and, it, and then the process continues. And so I feel like it's really everything, <laughs> but it also allows you to be comfortable with that unknown space. Right. We don't have to know everything about everything, but it drives us to that intellectual practice. Right. Um, I, as a as a kid, I would love to go on like nature walks and things like that. And I just, you know, the 
what you see as sort of perfection as a kid, the, the, the symmetry, the patterns, the, you know, the way the pine cone looks, the number of petals on a flower and stuff. And then I later learned out that that's all Fibonacci series, right? It can be described through math. And somehow that made it cooler, right? Even though it's still really amazing to begin with, there, I feel like the wonder sort of drives that whole process. I wonder if you could say a little bit more, either of you, about this relationship between paying attention, slowing down, and wonder. Is it, I mean, because what you're describing is also contemplative practice. Right. I think part of it is that to be human is to wonder and only humans wonder. We're the only ones that have the gift to just be and not to have every action being about survival or food gathering or mating or, right? That's the animal world. And so I feel like you have to have that space, that time to allow yourself to wonder. Um, it is, it's, it's a sort of contemplative or reflective practice, right, that we're talking about. And I think, as Phil was saying, unfortunately, our society is not really in that place to, to always allow that. And, and even in a classroom setting, grades are about, you know, exams and quizzes and papers and right. So I had to try to impart like, no, I'm giving you points just to just to be just just to sit, just to think. Right. And you need that space to allow yourself to wonder. And so for me, because of the faith connection, I feel that that is where God is. Right. God is in those moments of quiet and silence, but also that way that your brain sort of behaves. Right. And and so um, anyways, that's where I, I see that it is truly a human relationship and a, a human practice of being wondering. It, it made me think also of this difference between sort of chirotic time and sort of capitalist time, which is to say, I don't know, like a, a time that has a different relationship to, to our, our being inside of it. Um, and I'm not sure what precisely to say about that, but in the Melkite rite, which is an Eastern Catholic rite that occasionally we, we would attend um, th through my dad's, you know, um, Arab roots, right before they read the scriptures, they say, let us be attentive. Well, they sing it actually, let us be attentive. And I always love that. It's just basically them saying like, hey, listen up, this is going to be important. But that you know, invitation to let us be attentive is um, deeply embedded, I think, in um, cer certainly in, in hopefully what I'm trying to do is to, to, to wake up my students to a particular moment. Um, I just remember yesterday, we were speaking earlier how our students are having a hard time right now. They're pretty burned out as, as we are. Um, and all I wanted them was to just look up at me and just to be in the moment of the class, the, the experience of just being together rather than worrying, worrying about the next thing, which is what we've kind of pushed them into um, institutionally, culturally, um, which is to produce, 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 and not just inhabit time in a different way. Um, 
I was thinking also about the exam and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about this later, but I was thinking about the relationship between the Ignatian practice of examine and attentiveness to, to our lives, you know, and, um, you know, for those who, who don't know, you know, the examine would be this, this evening prayer that a Jesuit would engage in or anyone who would like to do, uh, to participate in Ignatian spirituality, looking back over the events of the day and to see where the spirit um, was present or where God was present. Um, and to me, that that's just a wonderful kind of practice that offers our life as a kind of text in which we can find the divine, find God, find the movement of and patterns of meaning and beauty that, that exist every day. Um, it's so hard. Like one of the, I have this stack of notebooks that my students have been keeping all semester. I, I asked them to kind of keep a, uh, a daily notebook, which, um, which will be a site for their drafts of poems and writings. And, um, but also it's an opportunity. I, I, I tell them to kind of, to see their lives as, you know, worthy of, of writing and, and worthy of observing and recording. Um, so I, I hope in some way to do that thing that we're all hoping to do in our classes, which is, yeah, I, I loved what you said, uh, Nicole, uh, to, that sparks their joy, that kind of helps awaken them again in that way that they, they, they were, that we all were when we were seven years old and just seeing things that's just inherently really interesting um, and to return them to themselves in that way. You're tapping into reflection, to imagination, to empathy, to time, to how we are in the world, relationships between self, others, meaning, the transcendent, the ultimate. So maybe we could move to then thinking about the connections between wonder and the mission of our universities as Jesuit institutions. So here, I'd like to offer you some other things to chew on. What role might wonder in either its intellectual or spiritual senses play in engaging our university missions as Jesuit institutions? So broadly speaking, Jesuit higher education is guided by a spirituality that seeks justice and places great emphasis on student formations as persons for and with others. Has Wonder played some part in your own journey towards engaging mission at your university? Is there a way in which our university missions might imagine the role of Wonder as part of an ethical stance? Here I'm thinking, Phil, about, you know, you talk about paying attention. There's a, there's a relationship between paying attention and bearing witness. So. How do you see these connections from your perspectives? Nicole, can we start with you here? Sure. Um, I think wonder is at the heart of Catholic education and therefore at the heart of any mission statement of a Catholic university. 
it's sort of um, ingrained in the process of learning, right? To have a question and seek an answer is to wonder about something. Um, in terms of connections to ethics and seeing our, our role in the world, um, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that wonder is what connects us to being able to see the world as a gift, right? Creation is a gift. And only after acknowledging that can we get to the point where we want to take care of it. And so um, in my world, um, I think a lot about um, care for the, the natural world. Um, and Laudato Si has spoken a lot to that, which has been wonderful. I've used that as a text in a first year seminar course. But, you know, wonder allows us to see and hear God in nature and therefore to want to take care of that. Um, we can then, you know, know how to defend it and um, promote the, the justice aspect that comes from it. And so then to just broaden that a little bit, part of creation and nature is us, right? So humans are also the thing that we need to protect and take, take care of. And so it's, it's, to me, wonder takes it from a bunch of objects and floating in space to a gift, right? And that difference is huge in terms of how we then approach what we do with it, right? Do we use it just to use it, right? Do we have all these resources and just exploit it? Or do we take care of it, right? To till and keep, um, to use the terminology. And, and anyway, so that's, I see it more from a natural world perspective. I would love to hear <laughs> Phil's take on this, but it all starts with wonder. And again, because it's only a human thing, then we are responsible for taking care of all this stuff, all of these gifts. Um, how do we move from, you know, perceiving the world as, you know, objects or materiality to something like a gift? I, I really like that. I, I wrote something down in preparation for this, which was wonder is consciousness of the encounter with otherness as it comes into visibility, which contains both non-recognition and recognition. And it's the not knowing that invites the mind and heart and spirit to lean forward into this unknowing and you know whether that's creation you know the natural world or as another person um or, or anything that, that we're encountering it's this radical encounter with that which is not ourselves yet in which we're in relation um and i i just wrote down a number of you know places that that seems to happen for me in addition to the classroom, obviously I, I've mentioned the arts. Um, experiential learning experiences are really ones that where students get transported, um, you know, immersive experiences as well, um, where they're sort of thrust out of their comfort zone. As, as you said, you know, like uh, earlier on that part of it is being able to inhabit that space of discomfort and um, into some 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 place where you're learning, which actually you know often involves a little bit of pain, you know, often involves a little bit of struggle. I would just want to sort of challenge us all to to think about that, like what's more inclusive than the idea of wonder, right? And so to think that anyone can 
be a part of this. And, and so, you know, it's an opportunity to engage our students, but also our colleagues in the mission. And I, I find that this is sort of where my, now my full professorness, uh, where, where, I'm, where I'm leading to is trying to, um, I, th- I feel like people are sort of scared away from the mission, quote unquote, right? It's this thing that we don't really know about. We know it has to do with faith and we're kind of scared about that. And, you know, I'm not a Catholic or et cetera, et cetera. And I find that maybe wonder might be that connection. You know, everyone wonders and we all have, and that's how we got here. And we all continue to every day. And that's why we do what we do. So why not make our missions alive with this idea of wonder in a way to engage folks with the mission of any Catholic university, but it's not exclusive to Catholicism. People are a little afraid of it. It sounds too airy. It sounds too, um, I don't know. Uh, It doesn't sound serious and productive. Um, It doesn't. But I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. There's this <laughs> funny moment in a child's life where they move from, for example, when they get a, a present when they're quite young, that they're just fascinated by the box. Yes. And, and then they ask the 52,000 questions, usually beginning with why. And I tell my students, I would love if you just asked me why. Just ask, ask why every time and how. If you ask why and how, that will make me so happy and we will create the ideal classroom. Because those are like the wonder questions. Like the awe of the box is like, well, what's inside? Why is it the way it is? Why, is, why, why are these patterns um, taking shape? Um, that those to me are, are so profound. And the, the only thing I, I wanted to mention, which I didn't mention at all, because um, Jennifer, you you had mentioned it that this question about justice is in there. I think you know not when I talk about wonder being a consciousness of our encounter with otherness, uh, that it begins with that sense of awe and connection, right? Like, oh, if I you know do a service project and I you know feed people at a soup kitchen or I give sandwiches out to people who are on the street. The first is just awe of the encounter, like, wow, this person actually lives on the street. And to, to be in conversation and dialogue and relation with someone like that is a place where awe and wonder strike us so forcefully. And yet, after that encounter, upon reflection, we start to ask, well, why is this person on the street? How is it that I have a house and I'm, you know, having this education in this community where I am you know, protected from all of my mistakes. And this person is absolutely out on their own. And that's where that next step comes in, I think, you know, the why, you know, we start to investigate further our actual relationships with people in, in our society. What's the relation between wonder and maybe suffering or, or things that are not right in the world? Is there a connection? Or is it because I think the way we think about wonder is like, whoa, isn't that cool? 
Right. Is there another side to wonder? Um, one of the things I was thinking about, of course, being a word nerd, I, I wanted to know what the root of the word wonder was, and then what the root of the word astonishment was and awe. So I started looking up all the constellation of words like this, and it reminded me of one of the philosophical distinctions that's often made between uh, the beautiful and the sublime, which is to say um, that which has proportionality and that which provides a certain amount of pleasure, which would be the beautiful and the sublime would be that which provokes in us a feeling of awe and terror sometimes at the inability to sort of make sense of something that's it's too big, that's too overwhelming for us to, to conceive of. And I think that any true and honest uh, articulation of wonder needs to grapple with that, you know, the fact. I mean, when I say the encounter with the other, as you say, that means to be in, in relationship with suffering, human suffering, which is, you know, deeply, you know, implicated in, in, in every life and how we, how we have to, to face that. You know, my daughter was so mad at me during the beginning of the pandemic. I showed her this video of this Russian person speaking. I love Russian literature. And this average Russian said, you know, suffering is what wakes up the soul. And she said, and I've loved it. And she said, why are you always sharing stuff like that with me? I said, it's, it's true. Like, this is, this is, this is like, this is a test for us. This is like a spiritual test for us. And she's just like, I don't, I'm suffering. I don't want to hear about that. <laughs> uh, so there is that too, right? Thank you. Yeah. I think in order to notice suffering, like that we would have to have some sense of wonder uh, some sense of something bigger than uh, right i go back to the idea that if we're the only creatures that wonder then we're the only ones that really recognize that level of suffering you know most animals don't spend a lot of time grieving now now some do that that's sort of a, a separate idea but i i would like to think that we do it on a different level, right? And have a, a looking for more of a, a a purpose in it, and a, you know how does it fit into my life and that kind of stuff. Whereas they're just plainly sad, perhaps. Um, and and that idea, we I think Phil, you're right. I think we have to <laughs> acknowledge the 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 fullness of humanity it includes a lot of the suffering part, right? And so. Um, in order to see it and to have empathy, for example, I think you would have to have this higher level thinking, which includes the idea of wonder. Let me move to a, another idea or question uh, about whether can wonder become a shared good within our campus communities? So here, what would it mean to practice wonder? How could we do that in a deeper and more meaningful way in, in our universities, in all sectors of, of our work in higher education? So what kinds of communal practices might help to rekindle wonder? Nicole, you said this earlier, you know, among our colleagues um, in connection with their work, with our collective work, and, and 
sometimes we lose wonder. How do we regain that? Um, so that wonder and whether it's named explicitly or an orientation in the way that we've been talking about this kind of fundamental openness and, and questioning and opening ourselves to the world. How do we cultivate that on our campuses? What, what are your thoughts on, on this idea about making wonder a shared good? Phil, would you start us off? Uh, sure, I've been jotting some notes here. Um, I experienced there to be a deep institutional tension between productivity and um, you know, filling seats in classrooms and maximizing um, our efforts you know, as, as professors and certainly students feel the same kinds of pressures in their own way between productivity and um, between formation, between um, this other thing that we're doing, which I think this is the best argument for higher education, particularly a four-year you know, higher education model is that what we're about is not simply you know, uh, skills attainment or, or, or knowledge production, but it's about character formation. It's about becoming creating a space for, for where people can become the people that they're meant to be in, in all aspects of life, you know, and then te teenagers tend to be the ones who already know everything. And so creating spaces where they can be surprised, where they can find joy, where they can encounter, um, where they can be bumped off of their sense of self-protective all-knowingness. Um, I, I jotted down a few different areas where I think that those things happen really effectively and, and, and the, we all do them already in institutions. Um, but, you know, I, I wrote practicing the arts, experiential learning, service learning, travel experiences, immersions, uh, retreat and reflection experiences, which are kind of journey inside as much as the others are journeys outside. Um, those, those would all be ways that we have traditionally done them. But I don't know about the rest of you. I feel um, that time has sped up even more after COVID and I'm more aware of the pressures on, on each of us to, to produce rather than to be. And any way that we can create a greater sense of being and becoming rather than producing and making, I, you know, I, I think are things that we need to be working on. I agree. <laughs> um, <laughs> so coming from the sciences, uh, we have a college of science and engineering here at LMU. I find um, my colleagues to be a bit more disconnected from the mission than perhaps someone in liberal arts, um, or at least they see themselves as being more disconnected. And I guess I want to make the argument that, um, that they're not and that they are already doing all of these things and we need to shine a light on it and celebrate it. So I guarantee you that my colleagues who teach, you know, other forms of chemistry, you know, biology, physics, et cetera, are already in the classroom going, oh my gosh, look at this, right? Because like you said, the students take away the excitement from the instructors and 
there are always going to be majors in physics and biology and chem, right? So there's something that's gravitating all these students to these fields. So I know it's happening in the classroom. I know they're already saying, you know, just watch. <laughs> this is going to be really neat. And I think if there was some way, and I don't know, I don't have the answer, but if there was some way that we can highlight and celebrate and say, look, this is what we're talking about in terms of wonder. This is what we're talking about in terms of awe. And this is what it means to be in Catholic higher education. Um, that would go a long way to feeling more connected across the campus. How can we as Jesuit institutions, you know, is there a way to be countercultural and shift that to elevate the being mode, the formation, the character, the sharing rather than showing mode? Well, as, as a person in the classroom, as a professor, I think that one of the things we're struggling with is that an academic space is a space with all manner of power dimensions and expectations already placed upon it. And many of the kind of meaning-making um, sparking of joy kinds of experiences for students happen outside of those spaces. Uh, they happen in community, they happen on the ball fields, they happen, you know, with their clubs or in faith communities. They're happening all over. And so I think this is partly a question for us as academics is how do we re-engineer the academic classroom into one which is more permeable to their lives and to to being human. I think that that's very big. You know, you could have events, you could um, highlight these things, but I, I think that the, the thing is that they're, they're happening already. And the question then becomes is how do you tell that story? For me, you know, as a writer, how do you tell the story in a way? Early on, I was reading Hopkins, Gerard Manley Hopkins, you know, thinking about wonder in his work. And what happens in his work is it's a lot of razzmatazz, a lot of delight, a lot of sensory stuff like hitting us. And then he turns and then all of that becomes sort of data points in an argument for praising God, basically or for seeing the glory of God. And it's very interesting, like for someone who's not a person of faith, they might read that as, okay, this is the part of the poem I don't find interesting. But for Hopkins, it was everything. It's like, how do you move between that apperception of beauty, of, of wonder, um, into a kind of story that I tell about what the world is like and how I exist in it? I don't think that academic institutions are very deft at telling that story. And that's something we can do a lot better. So making it more visible, elevating yeah. what we're already doing. And both of you referred to classroom spaces, like very intimate practices with students to create something where their lives are, are texts, that all our lives as members of a community are part of this project of mission. Um, it's not just on a website. It's something that we're already part of and maybe doing and perhaps wonders a way of inviting people into a space where they can immediately already relate to it. Mm -hmm. Going back to Nicole, your 
childhood observations, the pine cone, the petal, before you can know the mathematical properties of why it's like that. We take the time to inhabit, Phil, as you're saying, the fullness of time, kairos, thinking of how we move with each other in in time um, to give it the time to be able to maybe go back to that original idea of paying attention. I think you've given us a lot of food for thought to think about connections between wonder, teaching, how we relate to each other, our disciplines, mission. I mean, that's a lot to absorb. Thanks to Phil Metris and Nicole Bouvier-Brown for inviting us to place wonder at the center of our work and make it the core of how we engage with our mission. In episode three of The Intersection, we explore the relationship between creativity and community with Rachel Mindrup, a visual artist at Creighton University Medical School, and Aldo Billingsley, an actor and theater professor at Santa Clara University. The Intersection is edited by Mary Ennis and sponsored by Conversations on Jesuit Higher Education. For more, go to conversationsmagazine.org.